0: Is it just me or have we already in our Old Testament study covered some pretty amazing people? Like if I had to pick my favorite, I'd have a really hard time. And if you're trying to pick your favorite, listen, wait, because we're going to spend four weeks with David now, two before Easter and two after Easter. And if he isn't already in like your top three favorite Bible figures, he's going to be. Uh, I'm not going to try and make the claim that he's the greatest Old Testament figure, but okay, Abraham was had 14 chapters of the bible dedicated to his story and so did joseph jacob had 11 elijah had 10 david has 66 chapters of the bible dedicated to his life now you might be thinking yeah but moses wrote the first 5 books of the bible and you know got to see god face to face and all right i'm impressed he had the law named after him right the law of moses but but the throne jesus is going to sit on forever is the throne of is the throne of wow David is an amazing figure. I'm excited that we're going to spend four weeks with him. We're going to begin in the beginning when he was just a lowly little shepherd boy. We're going to talk today about how David was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? We find in the Bible that God is looking at something in you. He's looking at your heart. He's concerned what he finds there. We went to the Field Museum recently because our kids love Sue. Uh, I love the other exhibits. You know, I love Sue too, but as we walked around the ancient Egypt exhibit, I read something that was fascinating. Do you know that the ancient Egyptians, when they were preparing a body for the afterlife, they would, they would prepare the body uh, to go into the next world by leaving things in, um, like the casket uh, with it, or the tomb. But they as they got the body ready, they'd actually remove most of the stuff from within the body and embalm it, but they would leave the heart. And I thought, why would they leave the heart? It's because they believe that as soon as you died, you were judged by the gods. And the way you were judged was this. They actually took your heart and they put it on a scale and they weighed it. And, and the judgment was, if, if your heart was light, it meant that you spent your entire life doing good and not evil. And you got to go into uh, paradise with the gods. But if your heart was heavy, they believed that it meant that you spent your life doing evil. The heavier your heart was, the more evil your life was. And, And if your heart was heavy, you instantly got swallowed up by a nasty god and you were subject to the second death and torment forever. Isn't that interesting? And what was the scale, the weight of judgment? Your heart had to weigh less than a feather. So there was a feather on one side and your heart on the other. And if your heart was lighter than the feather, you got to go on to paradise. Now, we don't believe uh, like they do that your heart is literally weighed after this life. But we do believe that God will bring every one of us into judgment. And he will bring forth what's been disclosed, what's been hidden in our heart. He will disclose it. But today we also see he doesn't wait until the end. Your whole life he's looking into your heart. And he's judging what he sees. There are things he wants to see and there are things that he doesn't want to see. David was a man after God's own heart. The question for the morning is this. When God searches your heart, will He find you following His heart? When God searches your heart, will He find you following His heart? Our role model David will... Lead us to find out how we can follow after God's own heart. But let's pray first, then we'll get into the word together. Lord, thank you for David, for his life, for his story. Thank you that we have his story written from the very beginning, Lord, so that we can know how you raised up this man of faith. Father, we pray that through his life, you would show us exactly what it means to follow after you. And help us, Lord, to discern what that means on a moment-by-moment basis. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles up to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. We're leaving the judges behind, Samson last week. If you missed that one, get online and catch it. But the government has changed now in Israel as they now have a king. They clamored for a king, even though God was their king and so God gave them a king. Their king wasn't doing so great. Let's meet the cast that we find in 1 Samuel 16. You can jot these Names down in your bullets in first, Samuel. Uh, Samuel was the prophet. Write that down. Samuel was the prophet. There were prophets before him, but the office, or like the branch of government called the prophet, was just forming. And uh, Samuel was the prophet. Saul was the king. Fill that in. He was the first king of Israel. God picked him to be king. He got off to an okay start, but now he's not doing so well. So Samuel was the prophet. Saul was the king. Uh, prophet, priest, and king were the three branches of government in Israel. Uh, David here was the, was the nobody. David was the nobody. At least at the beginning of the story. And between Samuel and Saul and David, we're going to learn about faith. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Samuel's like, let me get this straight. There is a king. You want me to anoint another king? But what's the king going to think when I anoint another king? He'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you, And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. God was angry with Saul, God had rejected Saul, and he already told him about it. First Samuel thirteen fourteen says this, But now your kingdom, Saul, shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Two things Saul pretty much did wrong. First, he offered a sacrifice like a priest, even though he was a king. He wasn't supposed to do that. He transgressed the boundaries of his authority. Second, after a great battle, God said, "Don't leave anything. Don't leave any spoil. Don't leave anything alive." And and Saul was talked into by his people. He was talked into letting the people take the best of the spoil for themselves. And then, when confronted, he barely apologized, barely repentant. Two major mistakes, and he did other foolish things. God said, "I've rejected him as king." Samuel was now grieving the fact that the first king whom he anointed had failed. And now God said, why are you grieving? Get up and go. I've already made the next king known. And so the first thing we learn about faith, you can jot this down, is this. I must first know what doesn't impress God. That's the first thing we're going to see. I must first know what doesn't impress God. And let's read at verse 6 to find out what Samuel is taught. It says in verse 6, when they came, so they're all at like this sacrifice here, Jesse and his, his sons and the elders of the town, Bethlehem. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So imagine this. Samuel walks into the room and there's seven sons and the first one he sees is the oldest. And based on what he sees, he's like, this is the king." God, you sure know how to pick them. Wow! I think playing the part of Eliab in my mind is uh, young Arnold Schwarzenegger. I picture Samuel walking in. And I picture him thinking, who's God going to replace Saul with? Saul is good looking. He's tall. He's, you know, and he walks in and he sees that. And Samuel's like, Yeah. The Philistines aren't going to know what hit them. And then in verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. He's big and strong. He's tough. People would follow this guy. Why would you not choose him? For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So this is like a... This is like a a macho parade. Like they're all walking in front of Samuel, you know, like showing the guns and, you know, posing. Did you have one of those contests when you were in high school? I went to Stag, uh, Stag, home of the Chargers. And so the contest here was called Mr. Charger, Mr. Charger. I didn't win. I didn't even enter because I knew it'd be unfair to the other guys if I did. (laughs) Judging all of you based on how you just reacted to that statement. (laughs) Mr. Charger, they come out in flex. They come out in bathing suits. They come out in whatever. It was kind of like that. Here comes Abinadab. And and Samuel's just like, uh, no. Uh, no. 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 And then he's like, Jesse, God hasn't chosen any of these. And Samuel's then like, what am I even doing here? So what next? Well, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. He didn't even get invited to the macho parade. Samuel's learning something here, and so are we. You see, based on sight, we can make a lot of wrong judgments. If we just judge what we see on the outside, we're going to make a lot of wrong judgments. And And you can misjudge a lot of people based on sight. Wow, he's wealthy. Must be wise. Mm. Wow, he's wise. He must be disciplined. Mm. Wow, she's gorgeous. She must be faithful. Mm. See, you can make a lot of wrong judgments based on what you see. Man looks on the outside. Man, he's this. He must also be And God's peering straight into the heart of every human and he sees it like he's looking through a fishbowl. He sees straight into your soul. There's nothing that can be hidden from his sight. And we must first know what doesn't impress God if we are going to learn how to follow after his heart. What's really being paraded in front of Samuel is not seven guys. God's wisdom is being paraded in front of Samuel. He could have told them at the beginning, none of these, don't even talk to him. One after another, they went in front. Why? Because God wanted to show Samuel his wisdom to choose based on what he sees in the heart. And in Jeremiah nine twenty three to 24, we find out a lot about what doesn't impress God. We'll put it up on the screen. Hey, let's say this together. Lift up your voices and say it. Here we go. Thus says the Lord, What is it What is it that impresses God? This is huge. Here's a summary of that verse. The most impressive part of a person is how impressive God is to them. The most impressive part of a person is how impressive God is to them. And if God isn't much to them, whatever else they are, they're not much. Man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. God isn't impressed by the things that impress us. Here's some things God isn't impressed by. You can jot this down. God isn't impressed by wealth. He's not impressed when he looks into your portfolio or sees your 401k or or your paycheck comes in the mail. His eyebrows never go up. All right, check this out. Here's a picture of a wad of cash. You may think, if I've got a handful of those, then I'm pretty set. But open your hand like this. Right now, open both of your hands and hold them out in front of you. Go ahead. Come on and do it. Hold out your hands like this and look right at your palms. Stare at your palms. This is what you get to bring with you into the next life. What does that tell you about your money? It's not yours. All your stuff is God's stuff. And he lets you play with it for a time, but then after you die, he doesn't let you bring any of it into the next life. You leave this world with nothing. What are you going to do with God's stuff? Because he's not impressed when you hoard it up for your own personal kingdom and glory. Wealth doesn't impress him. Next, brains. He's not impressed by brains. Your ACT score? Pathetic to him. The grades you got in college or high school or whatever, he's not impressed. You want to know how smart God is? I read this week that there are 12,000 species of ants. You want to you take a test? Get out a legal pad and start coming up, creating different species of ants. Come up with as many as you can. Get creative. And then when you run of ideas like 982, understand that God's smart enough to come up with 12,000 species of ants and then be humble because he's, he's never going to be impressed by how smart you are. You think you can win on Jeopardy? God's not impressed. Your brains do not impress him. Next, looks. God is not impressed by your wealth, your brains, or your looks. He never looks down and he's like, wow, there's a good looking guy. Angels, come check this guy out. Isn't he good looking? He's really good looking. I'm pretty impressed by him. Here's a picture of a good looking guy. All right. That's Fabio. He's from our generation. Maybe you don't know who Fabio is. Fabio had the looks, he apparently didn't have the smarts because he didn't know the difference between real and fake butter. (laughs) He had the looks, he didn't have the brains. God's not impressed by wealth, by brains, by looks. He's not impressed by muscles, write that down. Muscles, physical strength. You know what I can bench? Yeah, put a planet on the end of each bar and maybe got a look. Think God thinks you're strong? The, the, we learned last week about the world bench press record, right? 1,000 pounds a guy can lift. The guy's like 300-something pounds. Wow, so you can bench three of you. Is God impressed by that? You can pick up three of you. Uh-huh. Yeah, pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea, and then maybe I'll look at you. God's not impressed by your muscles, by your looks, by your brains, by your wealth. God's not impressed by your titles. By your titles. Oh, you don't know who I, I. I've got three degrees. Well, la da You got letters after your name? God doesn't care. Doesn't make you anything more to Him. He's not your smarts or your position or who you are. CEO, CFO. Titles. You know, one of the highest titles in the land. Even if you were to, to get one of the highest titles in the land. You know, it makes you nothing more to God. He's not a respecter of persons. He thinks no more highly of you than he did before you became that. God's not impressed by wealth, by brains, by looks, by muscles, by titles. God's not impressed by religion. Jot that down, religion. We have to cover this one because Saul thought by making a a sacrifice that he was making God happy. But what God said to him was, Do I need your sacrifices? To obey is better than sacrifice. Okay, meaning the rituals... The sacrifices, the costumes without the obedience is nothing to me. Here's a picture, probably a familiar picture by now. It's the next pope Is there any one more central figure of, of the leading religious figure in the world? And, you know, there's nothing biblically wrong with costumes or gold artifacts or rituals. They did a lot of that in the Old Testament, right? But if you've got that and you don't obey everything the Lord Jesus commanded you, Religion means nothing. Religion adds nothing to you. And God's not impressed by it. He's not impressed one bit. God's not impressed by your wealth, your brains, your looks, your muscles, your titles, your religion. Well, then what is it? What is he looking for? When God searches your heart, will he find you following his? It's as simple as that. When God searches your heart, will he find you following his heart? It's as simple as that. And there is no substitute. And any one of these things that we just said, they're not wrong in and of themselves, but if these are the things that your heart is following instead of God, then that's called idolatry. I must first know what doesn't impress God. Check this out. This is a picture of a compass. And uh, if you've seen the movie, how many of you have seen the movie Pirates of the Caribbean? Okay, now in that movie, Captain Jack Sparrow had a compass, right? But it was broken, or at least people thought it was broken because it didn't point north. It pointed to the thing that he wanted most in the moment. It could point to anything from, you know, to rum or to women or to a treasure or whatever, but it, it showed him where the thing he wanted most was located so he could follow it. Now imagine if God reached down from heaven and handed you a special compass And when you looked at this compass, imagine if it pointed to what God wanted most in the moment. Can you imagine that? What does God want me to do right now? What does God want me to say right now? Where does he want me to go right now? That's called godliness. It's your heart following the will of the Lord just as a needle should point north. And if you look at the compass, God's compass that shows his heart, and if you say, wow, God wants me to go this way financially, in terms of my career, in this relationship, in how I resolve this conflict. He wants me to go this way. If you go that way, you're following His heart. But if God's wisdom and heart points you this way and you decide instead to turn this way, you're no longer following His heart. And When God searches your heart, will He find you following His? I must first know what doesn't impress God. Second, you can jot this down, I must faithfully follow After God's heart. I must faithfully follow after God's heart. Let's meet David now, reading on. Reading on after Samuel gets a lesson in what God isn't impressed by. In verse 11, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now, he didn't even get invited to the macho party, right? Because he was the caboose kid. How many of you are the caboose kid in your family? Youngest child. Raise up your hand if you're the youngest child in your family. Yeah. It's tough to be the youngest, right? Like, you've never worn an article of clothing that was bought for you. It's always hand me downs. Always. Have you been forgotten places by your parents? Left behind? Walked away from? Uh huh. Caboose kid. You're like a caboose kid. David was the caboose. he didn't even get to come to the macho party. he didn't even get to walk in front of Samuel. They thought he had no chance at whatever it was Samuel was there for get back with the sheep. You can't come. but then something surprising happened. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome ruddy maybe he was a redhead maybe uh he had he had red in skin because he was out in the. In the sun, we don't know. He had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. The Lord said, "Arise and anoint him, for this is he." Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This this anointing oil shows that in the branches of government, the prophet had the power to anoint a new king. This would be the equivalent, all right, of Uh, you know, the Lord showing up to your, or not the Lord, but today, like imagine getting a knock on the door and it was like the chief justice of the Supreme Court. He's like, raise your right hand, repeat after me. And then he gave you the oath of office and swore you in as president. And he's like, see ya. And all your brothers saw it and all the elders of the town saw it. And as this oil was running down David's face, keep in mind, he's 10, 12 years old. We learned something about God. All the brothers learned something about God. Why did he not choose me? What's with the youngest brother getting picked? Man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. We have to, we have to notice that God's choice was not arbitrary. Okay? God's choice was not arbitrary. David was a man after God's own heart. I will faithfully follow after God's own heart. There was nothing about David's current level of responsibility or training or experience that made God choose him. Like David's job was he worked at a petting zoo. He was entrusted with the responsibility of watching over the animals. What do you do? I babysit sheep. King! crown him. There's just... So much that we see in David. Well, there's so much that we don't see in David's life. And yet God sees his heart and that's enough to crown him king. I've got an 11-year-old daughter and I'm like, God could really see something like that in her at this age that could lead to what? That's just so, that's not the way I think. but That's the way God thinks. This is astonishing. It teaches us about what God's looking for in our heart. It teaches us about what He's searching for. When was He watching David? He was watching David when he was unsupervised, when he was doing unimportant work, when his work went unapplauded. When is God watching you? Sooner than you think, when you're unsupervised, when you're doing unimportant work, when your work goes unapplauded. God's watching your heart. You could be a carnival worker overseeing the petting zoo, and God's checking your heart out. Do you know that first, that makes this world, this life, kind of terrifying? Because every moment of the day, God's watching my heart. Yet, if you understand why he's doing it, because he has plans to make something of you to use you in a great way. You see, David was a man a man, 100% human and nothing more. The difference was not that he wasn't a man. It's not that he lacked humanity. It's that he followed after God. See? When you understand that every moment the Lord is looking into your heart, even the insignificant moments become eternally important. There's no such thing as an unimportant moment. They say that every Paper turned in by a student is a self-portrait if you think about it is it sloppy is it unfinished is it done did they do a good job every everything that a student does is a self-portrait well every moment even the insignificant ones especially when no one's around is a self-portrait of your heart to god therefore there's no such thing as an insignificant moment they're all important they all count and god's looking straight into your heart he wants to find something if you do the small things well because you know that they're big to God, God will entrust you with bigger things. We have so many people who serve at Harvest Payless every week, um, and not everybody gets up in front of lights. Not everybody gets a, you know applause after they sing or play a good song. Uh, there's so many things that happen behind the scenes. and There's only a couple people who know what it took for you to do your job. There's only a few people who understand what happens if you don't get your job done, right? You don't get the applause. You don't get the recognition. You may be all alone when you're doing your part. But God sees it. It's big to God. And it hit me recently as I was reading in the New Testament what every Christian wants to hear, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. But do you know the very next thing that the Lord will say to us when we see Him for the first time with our own eyes? you know what He says? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little things. Small things. When judgment begins, Christ is like, All right, bring up the small things. Let's talk about nursery. Let's talk about road crew. No, 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 wait. I did some big. It's a big important thing. No, nope. we're going to start with the small things. Let's see how you did with those. If you're faithful with small, you're entrusted with big in this life and in the next life. David was babysitting animals, and God said, "Crown him." We see that God's desire here is to choose the unqualified, the untaught, the inexperienced, the youngest, to serve his purposes. We learn from 1 Corinthians 28 that this is the way God picks those who are saved too. It says in 1 Corinthians to 29 Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. (laughs) That's you. In the world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Hey, when you hear about what God did in David's life, don't think, wow, David was really somebody No, think David was a nobody who God made a somebody that everybody knows about. That's the story of David. He was a nobody who God made a somebody who everybody knows about. And when God searches your heart, he wants to find you following his. Okay, well, how do I find his heart? How do I find his heart? All right. Here's four ways that you can find God's heart. This is, this is what reveals God's heart. You can jot these down first. God's word. God's word reveals God's heart. And in any area of your life that you are obeying God's word, you are following God's heart. It's a one-to-one correspondence. It's black and white. Any area of your life where you are not following God's word, you are not following his heart. It's as simple as that. In his word, he reveals his character, his promises, his miracles. It's his word. It reveals his heart. Second, God's son. God's heart is revealed by his word and by his son. New Testament, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Listen, if in your life you have never become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever else you are, you are currently nothing to God. You will not spend eternity with him. And when you stand before him for judgment, there is nothing you can point to in your life that will make him satisfied with you. Are you hearing this? If you don't have his son, if you have not become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no hope of pleasing God when the judgment time comes. You're not following his heart. God's word, God's son, next, God's church. God's church reveals his heart. Ephesians 1.23 says the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him here on earth. It's his special place of, of presence. It's his temple. It's his family. It says it's the body of Christ. Sometimes I've heard people say, oh, I like Christ. I just don't like the Christians. Oh, I like the Lord. I just don't like his church. Okay, go to your wife and say, hey, I like your head. I just don't like your body. See if that works out for you. Doesn't work on Christ either. He is the head of the body. The body is his church. And God's church is God's family. And if you've got a problem with his church and you're not deeply rooted and closely connected, tied by love to God's family, you're not in the place of his heart. He loves his bride. God's word, God's son, God's church, and God's spirit. God's spirit reveals God's heart. He's the indwelling Spirit who leads us to walk closely with Him. And here, the Spirit comes on David with power, enabling him to live the life that God has planned. Hey, I must first know what doesn't impress God, and then I must faithfully follow after God's heart, which is revealed by His Word, His Son, His Church, and His Spirit. Well, David, after he gets anointed king, his dad, Samuel's gone. Then his dad's like, all right, back to work. He goes back out with the sheep. His life does not change right away. He goes out there. And it's just him and the sheep. And he's like, sheep, guess what? I'm going to be king. The sheep are like, "Man." He's like, nobody cares. Got to be king. and Get to work. He goes back to work. Now we meet Saul and we find out more about him. David shows us that we must faithfully follow after God's heart, but jot this down. Saul shows us, I must not repeatedly grieve God's heart. I must not repeatedly grieve God's heart. This is a story of contrast here. Look at verse 14. It says in verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Note the contrast. In verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. In verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him the Holy Spirit in the New Testament praise the Lord once he comes on us he never leaves us you can't do anything to drive God's spirit away you are sealed with him until the day of redemption now you there are people in the Bible who drove God to a point where God said that's it you're coming to heaven now okay but he'll never take his spirit from you but he did from Saul. Verse 15, and Saul's servants said to him, behold now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. That's like the the little harp. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it. You will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I've seen a son of "'Jesse the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, "'man of valor, man of war, prudent in speech, "'and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him.'" Contrast. "'Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, "'Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep.'" He's where? He's with the sheep. "'And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine "'and a young goat, sent them by David, his son, to Saul. "'David came to Saul and entered his service.'" And Saul loved him greatly, became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, let David remain in my service, for he was found, he's found favor in my sight. Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is David's first grown-up job. Did you have a first grown-up job? Like, I mean, I mowed lawns, but I mean after that. My first grown-up job was I was a fry cook at McDonald's. Anybody else work at McDonald's? Is that one of your first jobs? Uh-huh, cool. Then I pushed shopping carts at Walmart for a little while. Then after that, I delivered teeth to dentists. Like, I picked up the teeth from the people who made the replacement teeth, and I delivered them to the dentist's office. So it's like the tooth fairy, only in reverse. The teeth went back into the mouth after I was done. <clears throat> teeth delivery! Teeth delivery! I was uh, I was once I was once the red Power Ranger at a child's birthday party. Weird job, weird job. That was me. You had any weird jobs? Okay, David's first grown-up job. If you asked him, he would say this. Well, yeah, my boss recently has uh, suffered from demon possession, <laughs> intermittently, off and on. So when he's having his worst days, I go in and I play the guitar for him, to pick up his spirits. Maybe you feel like your boss is demon-possessed. David's boss was demon-possessed. This was his first job. And notice the wisdom of God, because God had already told Saul, I've picked out the next king, and he's better than you. He said this to Saul, and he hides David in plain sight. Where's this guy? Oh, he's just a boy. He works. He's a shepherd. Plays the guitar, the mini the harp pretty well. Bring him in. And Saul loved him. What wisdom God has to tuck away the next king right in the service of the current king. No danger yet. Saul shows us that we must not repeatedly grieve God's heart. What we see here is David is a man who is now chosen by God indwelled by God, strengthened by God, and led by God. But what we see in Saul is a man who was rejected by God, had been indwelled by God, is no longer strengthened by God, but instead is suffering because of God and is no longer following God. There's a contrast, but listen, we have to also notice what they have in common. Both of these were men, 100% human. Assembled like any other human, came with the stock parts any other human comes with. Both were chosen by God. God spoke their name. Saul's the first king. Both had an opportunity for their name to be eternally known. God said to Saul, if you had obeyed, I would have made your name great through the ages. But you, you blew it. Wow. Wow. What was different about them isn't that one was a man and one was something other than a man. It's that one was a man following after God's heart and one was not. Saul is actually a pretty complex character, hard to get to know. But he's interesting. It says that God chose him because Saul didn't think much of himself. He really saw himself as the least of the least, which is a good starting point. The problem is he began to then dread that others wouldn't think much of him either. And this was his fatal weakness because he feared what others thought of him after God made him a king. God made him a king and he feared what others thought of him. It was his great weakness. And so so he decided that the thoughts of others were more important than the thoughts of God. When God searched Saul's heart, he found Saul fearfully following the hearts of people and not the heart of God. And God rejected him. What happens can happen to us. You can jot this down. God's patience will run out. God's patience will run out. If we repeatedly grieve God's heart, his patience will run out. You see, if we keep storing up evil and sin in our lives, thinking no one will know or God must be okay with it because he hasn't done anything yet, we're lying to ourselves. The truth is God's patience will run out. Second, God's judgment will fall. God's judgment will fall. It's only a matter of time before God pours out suffering and pain. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. It will be true of every Christian in the room. God's judgment will fall. But we also see in David's life that God will respond to your godly choices. He makes distinction between those who will obey his voice and those who won't. And obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings judgment and suffering every time it's encouraging us when you feel like it why am i still doing this one of my friends are doing this and it's costing me so much and the way of the righteous is hard and they're fine they're they're getting where they need to be and here it's hard for me what am i still putting up with this for what am i still obeying that she's not obeying why am i obeying then you understand that god's looking into your heart it matters to him And in this life and in the next, your obedience will bring blessing. Don't throw away your confidence. Understand that God may be patient with the wicked, but he will sweep them away like grass. Like grass. They'll fade. They'll wither. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. We'll put this up on the screen. Talks about the judgment day and what happens when that comes. He's talking about believers, by the way. Let's read this together. Lift your voices up. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Your heart will be laid bare. The day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire. Fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And those who have been faithful with few will be entrusted with more. Those who have been obedient will be honored and exalted. But some, sadly, will pass through into the next life, and they will resemble somebody who just ran out of a house that was burning down. They will have very little to show for this life, because they weren't faithful and obedient to the Lord. We're going to put one final verse up there, and I want you to look at it. Psalm 139, 23-24. When God searches your heart, will He find you following His... Will he find you following his? I want you to read this verse to yourself and then have a moment of private prayer between you and the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. If there are any areas in your life where you're obeying and you know it, but it's getting hard. It's getting hard. You're losing heart. You feel like giving up. I want you to go to the Lord and ask for his strength so that you can press on with a newfound confidence because God sees it and he'll reward it. But listen, if there's areas in your heart where you know you're disobeying, God sees it. His patience will run out. But this is your chance. He's spoken this word to you through me so that you can respond. Repent of any known sin and ask the Lord to come into your life and redirect your heart in any known area of sin. And the Lord will bless you. Go ahead right now, read this verse to yourself, and then go before the Lord in prayer.